Thank you to the whole worship team for reading through that story, for leading us through many chapters in a short space. It was really good to hear the story again. We're going to be reviewing back through the story of Joseph, so you can flip back to Genesis chapter 42 if you want, um, but we're going to be jumping through it. But first, let me pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to, uh, to hear your word, to study your word, to be moved. I pray that you would move us, that your Holy Spirit would move us, that you would move my lips and you would move their hearts, uh, and would we all uh, be changed by you, God. It's in your son's name we pray, Jesus Christ, amen. So today's sermon title is How to Fix a Broken Relationship. I really think the story of Joseph is about a broken relationship between him and his brothers and him and his father and how that gets healed. And I think we all struggle with broken relationships. I know I have certainly had my fair share of broken relationships. Maybe you've had one with a family member, so a, a father or a mother, a, a sibling, a brother or a sister. Maybe with someone that you got into relationship with, a spouse, now as an ex-spouse, or someone that you wanted to get into relationship with, and it didn't really work out, and now you have a broken relationship. It's something that we've all experienced at some level in our lives. I thought I would share a little bit about a broken relationship uh, I, I went through. And don't worry, this is not a dating history of Jonathan Romig. This is just one story. When I was growing up, I was good friends with a, another kid named Joe's. And we would hang out at each other's houses all the time. Uh, we were both homeschooled, so we would do some classes together with our different parents or our, our friends teaching, and we would be at each other's houses all the time. And then uh, we would both play outdoors together. So at my house, we would bounce on the trampoline. And at his house, we would uh, swing on a big outdoor uh, swing set that he had. And uh, it was just a wonderful friendship. He lived at a torchbearer's school, which is like a Bible retreat center that, uh, that students sign up for for a year. And so we would run around and just kind of play with some of the, uh, the older kids that we thought were super old, just out of high school. Uh, and so it was a wonderful friendship for pretty much all of my child years until I was about 14 years old. And when I was about 14 years old, I was up at his house and we were playing on the tennis court and he just kind of left me. Like he was just, a, we were playing and he just kind of went away. He made up an excuse, said, I got to go. And that was really one of the last times we ever hung out together. I, I would call him and I'd be like, hey, you want to hang out? And he just wouldn't return my phone calls after that. I had experienced my first kind of being dumped by a friend. <laughs> and it really hurt. It really, really hurt. Now I'm going to tell you how this story ends at the end of the sermon. So you have to listen for the whole sermon until I get there. But the, the big question is, how do we fix these broken relationships? How do we fix these wounds, these hurts? Because we want to, right? Don't we want to, to make them better? Well, the story of Joseph gives us, gives us some ideas how. Now, I'm going to break this story into three key words that, that really give us a, an answer. The three key words are repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. Repentance, 
reconciliation, and restoration. And I truly believe that mending a broken relationship begins with repentance. Now, Joseph's brothers in his, this story, they, they took him, they sold him into slavery. They told his father that, uh, you know, he was killed by a lion, that he was mauled to death, an awful thing to do. And they are overcome, they are racked with guilt, but they're not repentant. And we see this in the story. The worship team read a little bit as, as they ran into these troubles in Egypt. They went to Egypt to buy grain, and they meet Joseph. They don't recognize him. He probably would have had shaved maybe his head and his beard, maybe uh, been out in the sun more. So he would have, and he would have been older, almost 22 years older. And so they don't recognize him. And he says, you're spies. And they're like, what? Why is this happening? Why are you accusing us? See, Joseph's brothers, they feel guilty, but they're not repentant. And what Joseph is doing here is he is slamming the door wide open on their hearts. He's slamming the door open to see what is on the inside. Maybe some of you have heard that quote from C.S. Lewis about rats in the basement. And it's this idea of in order to see the sin inside our hearts, we need to open the door quickly. When something very uncomfortable happens to us, that's when we say a bad word. That's when we react poorly. And so Joseph is targeting his brothers. He's jarring their hearts. And what he finds in their hearts is that there are rats in the basement. He is shining the interrogation light on their lives to see how they're going to respond. See, what he's doing is he's giving them an opportunity to repent, to show ownership for what they did, to see where they're at. And they begin to, to talk even while he's in front of them. And they don't think that he can understand because he's speaking through an interpreter. They say, oh, well, this is happening because of that bad thing that we did. Reuben, uh, he even says, you know, it's his blood. It's on, your, it's on your hands. But we don't see repentance. We see guilt. Repentance is confessing I'm wrong. When the Holy Spirit comes and convicts our hearts, and that's what the Holy Spirit is doing to his 10 older brothers, the Holy Spirit is convicting them. But but repentance, that conviction leads to saying, I'm sorry, I I, want to change. I want to do things differently. Asking for forgiveness and seeking to make things right. Now, when we go into our relationships and we experience a break in relationship, do we take that first initial step of repentance? That's what we're called to do, to say, if I, if I have some responsibility in the break of this relationship, I need to take ownership for that. I need to say, I'm sorry. We need to not shine the interrogation light on others, but on our own hearts. We need to slam the door wide open and say, Do I have some responsibility for this break in relationship? And then be willing to confess that. Be willing to say, you know what, I'm sorry. This is what I did to help break that relationship. See, Joseph holds back. And because he holds back and doesn't say, you know, it's me, Joseph, he's actually being gracious to them. It's been 22 years Can you imagine if you hadn't seen uh, some family members in 22 years, your brother or your sister, wouldn't you want to just embrace them in your arms? This is how Joseph must have felt 
But he doesn't because he's giving them an opportunity, an opportunity to repent. See, Joseph is doing what is best for them at great personal cost. He's taking the hard route to make sure the relationship gets mended the right way instead of the easy way, the long, difficult pathway instead of the quick fix. Now, he still does what's best for them. He still, he still shows loving kindness to them. He, he puts their, gold, their silver back in their sacks. He's, he's trying to take care of them, but he's waiting because he wants to see what's in their hearts. He wants to let the spirits move. Now, in our lives, maybe you've been wounded by someone, and your tendency, I know my tendency, is to kind of cover it up as quickly as possible, you know, to hang around that person and and make a joke and just kind of make us both laugh so that I know everything's okay. But when we don't address the break, when we don't address the sin issue, we're actually causing a worse injury than before. You know what happens when you break a bone and you don't set it right? It can cause nerve damage. And so if you break your arm, you can begin to lose feeling in your hand. In the same way, if we don't set our relationships the right way, we can begin to lose those relationships because they're not healing the right way. They're not going forward the way God intends, a way that's happy and, and healthy and honest. Now, Joseph doesn't confront his brothers with their sin yet. He's he's sort of moving into that process. But sometimes this does involve confrontation. So do we run away from it? Or do we walk humbly, recognizing like I'm broken, I'm a sinner, but this is something we need to do in order to mend the relationship the right way. Now, there are a couple different ways to respond to broken relationships, and I want to focus on three different ways uh, from our story, three different responses. And so you can write these down in your notes as we go along, uh, but the three different responses we see in Reuben, Jacob, and Judah. So I'm going to put the first one up on the screen, Reuben, how he responds to this guilt, to this sin, to this break in relationship. He covers his sin with good deeds, without repenting. Reuben covers his sin with good deeds, without repenting. Now, at first glance, if you were listening to the story, you probably thought, Reuben seems like a pretty good guy. In chapter 37, so this is the chapter where kind of the tragedy happens, where his brothers kidnap Joseph, throw him in that pit, and then sell him into slavery. In that chapter, Reuben sticks up for Joseph. And he says, uh, you know, let's not do this evil deed. He actually makes a plan to try and rescue Joseph. But he goes away, and by the time he gets back, Joseph's been sold to slave, uh, slave traders. All right, so we see him trying to do the right thing there. And then chapter 42, which we read today, Reuben is one of the first to clearly connect the problem of their earlier sin to their current situation. He says, well, we're in this this problem in Egypt because we did this evil thing. We spilt our brother's blood back at home. So God's kind of taking vengeance out on us. And right after this, Joseph sends his brothers home. He sends uh, all of them but Simeon home. 
and tells them, don't come back to me unless you bring your youngest brother, Benjamin. Then I'll know that you're not spies, that you're telling the truth. And they have to go home and tell their father, well, you have to send Jacob, it's their father, you have to send your youngest son, Benjamin, down to Egypt in order for us to get our other brother back, in order for us to get more grain. And this is terrifying to Jacob because he already lost Joseph, one of his other sons, And Joseph was his favorite son because he was the son of his favorite wife, Rachel. And so Benjamin is kind of like the the, the second favorite. And so he can't imagine sending Benjamin away. And so we see in chapter 42, Reuben makes an offer, a pretty bold offer. This is later in chapter 42. Reuben offers to put his own sons to death if he doesn't return Benjamin. He says, okay, father, like I'll put my own sons to death if I, if I don't bring him back. First off, I don't know what good that would do. I wouldn't want to have Reuben as a dad. <laughs> see, but Reuben is displaying an even deeper guilt. Because he did something. He did something evil. He did something atrociously evil in chapter 35. In chapter 35 of Genesis, uh, Jacob's wife, Rachel, had just died. So Jacob, his father is in this time of mourning. Jacob was not a perfect man. He had multiple wives and he had concubines, women that he would sleep with uh, for his wives to produce children. And Reuben went into one of his father's concubines and slept with her. And it says, and Israel heard of it. Israel is another name for Jacob, a name that God gave Jacob. See, Jacob was acting this way. Jacob was, uh, Reuben was acting this way. He was being good outwardly to make up for his sin that he had committed. In Genesis chapter 35, Instead of approaching his father and saying, Father, I blew it, I'm sorry, I sinned against you sexually, but then I also sinned in a way to try and overthrow your authority. Because when you have the same wife as your father, you're you're kind of setting yourself up and you're setting your power structure up in that society. But Reuben doesn't do that. Instead, he acts the most holiest. He tries to please his father. He tries to do good deeds to cover up his sin and in Genesis chapter 49, there's a blessing that, uh, that Jacob is giving his sons just before he dies. We're going to read that next week. And he does not bless Reuben. Even though Reuben has given all of these outward acts of kindness and goodness, Jacob curses Reuben. He does. We're going to see that. And I believe that, I believe that this is why, that he's doing these outward things to be good, but he never repents. He never goes to his father. If you've hurt someone, if you're the cause of a break in relationship, it's tempting to let it slide and then to do good deeds to try to cover up that break. To say, well, if I, I, was, I was awful to this person, but if I'm nice to these people, then, then it's going to be okay. But in God's economy, that's not the right way to go about it. We have to make right what was wrong with the individual, with the people that we have experienced a break with. We have to go to them and repent and say, I'm sorry, I blew it. Here's my responsibility. This is the pattern God calls us to. Mending a broken relationship has to begin with repentance. Now, after the brothers go to Egypt, they return home, they talk with their father, and notice how Jacob responds. 
Jacob responds in this way. He doesn't believe anything good can come of his heart. See, he's been so wounded. He's been wounded by the loss of his son that he, he lashes out against his, his, his uh, ten older sons. Now, they couldn't control what was going to happen in Egypt, but he says, well, why did you tell them about your brother? He blames them. He shifts the blame on them, and he lashes out because he's been wounded. He has had a break in relationship with his son. And he clings to his other son, Benjamin, like a candle in a dark cellar. This is his light. And he can't imagine letting the light out of his prison cell because he's miserable. He's sad. Maybe you've hurt someone or you've been hurt and you've been hurt so many times that you've kind of given up, that you've retreated into your dark prison cell. Your only candle is something that you're holding on to in your life. Well, that thing, whatever it is, isn't going to keep you safe. It's not going to keep the light on. So God knows what he's doing with Jacob. God targets the thing that Jacob is holding most dear. See, Jacob has something to learn in this story, too, even though he's been the one who was wounded. See, there's going to be good news for Jacob. If you've been wounded over and over, and don't give up. Jacob gave up, but God delivered him. You know what God's about to do? God is about to perform a miracle. God is about to raise Jacob's son from the dead. That's what God does to restore this relationship. Jacob, or Joseph, who was dead, is going to come back to life. See, if God can do that for that relationship, he can do it for yours. Now, Jacob, he sends his son, he sends his son, including Benjamin, down to Egypt. He doesn't want to let Benjamin go, but he says, well, this is the only way. Uh, otherwise, we're going to starve. That's, Judah makes that point. And he sends them back to purchase grain. Joseph greets them. He's still in disguise. They don't recognize him. And he has them over to his house for dinner. You know, because I was threatening you last time with prison, so I'm going to have you over for dinner. And they come over, and it is an odd event because they sit at their own table. Uh, Joseph sits at his table. Uh, the Egyptian servants sit at another table. They would have real no explanation for this. Remember, they're speaking a different language than Joseph and his servants, and they're, they're served food. So you can imagine, you know, they're wondering, am I going to get poisoned? Like, what's going to happen here? And then something extra interesting happens. Uh, the portion for Benjamin, for the youngest, is five times the amount of food that his brothers get. And for some miraculous reason, it says uh, they were all arranged in order from oldest to youngest. <laughs> and they're thinking, well, how did this happen? How did they know that information? How, how could they possibly know? It's Joseph. See, Joseph's giving little hints. It's a pretty interesting story. But then Joseph knows that there needs to be one final test to reveal their hearts. He puts his silver cup in one of the sacks, and he puts it in the youngest sacks, in, in, in Benjamin's sack with his grain. And he hides it there with his steward. His steward puts it there. And then they leave, and he sends his steward out to confront them. He sends them out to, uh, to challenge them. And, and it says when they found out, and it was interesting, it was like, building the anticipation. He started with the oldest and went down and down and down to the youngest. And finally, he found it with the youngest. And it says, they tore their clothes. 
You know why they had torn their clothes? Because they had literally just said the moment before, we will put to death anyone who has your mug, your, not your mug, your, uh, your goblet, your silver cup. They just said that. And now they have to tread back to Joseph's, uh, Joseph's house. But we see something really beautiful happen there. We see something really extraordinary happen at Joseph's house. This is the darkest moment. Benjamin is, according to them, going to be put to death. Judah steps up and he says, well, we will all be your servants because he doesn't want Benjamin to die. And Joseph, still unrecognized by them, says, oh no, I would never do that. I'm just going to make the one who stole my silver cup become my slave. This is the darkest of dark moments. The one that Jacob loves, is, this is their worst fear realized, is going to be left bound in Egypt. And Judah steps forward. Judah does something beautiful, he repents. Judah demonstrates repentance. This is the third response. See, he pleads for his brother's life. He pleads to Jacob, to Joseph, directly to Joseph. There's too many J names in this story. He says, Do you, have you ever had a brother? Have you ever had a father? There's irony in that. And he begins to tell the story of how Jacob received the news that Joseph had died, that he had perished by a lion. And it's clear that Jacob was heartbroken. And he tells them that if Benjamin does not come back, our father is going to go down to the grave in misery. The word for grave is the word sheol, the underworld, a dark place, a place that they didn't want to go place of sadness. And then Judah says, I guaranteed the boy's safety. Now please take my life. I will be a slave for life instead of Benjamin. See, Judah is putting himself in the place of Benjamin. Do you remember what Judah did? About, uh, I think it was the week Andy preached, Genesis chapter 37, when the brothers kidnapped Uh, When the brothers kidnapped Joseph, put him in the pit, it was Judah's idea to sell him into slavery. He said, well, what good is it going to do if we kill him? Let's just, let's sell him, then at least we can have a prophet. See, if they had killed uh, Joseph, he would have been put out of that, his misery. If they had, uh, if, 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 if Judah hadn't done this, Joseph wouldn't have been condemned to a lifetime of slavery. Now Joseph has clearly climbed the social ladder. He has clearly done very well in Egypt. He has been blessed by God and he is blessing others. But he's a slave. He's a servant. He's experienced 22 years of slavery. He's been accused by Potiphar's wife. He's been wrongly condemned to be in prison. And that's all a result of Judah, of the oldest of the 12 brothers. It's his fault. See, he was putting his own wants first. He, he was a man who said, I will do anything to get ahead. I'm a man who will do, I will sell my own flesh and, brother, uh, flesh and blood just to make a profit. I will sell my own kin. 
Why do I say that he is demonstrating repentance? Because he is doing the exact opposite now. See, this is repentance. It's a change of heart. See, Judah is willing to lose everything now for the well-being of another. Can you think of anyone in the story of the Bible who was willing to lose his life for the well-being of another? It's Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. What's happening in this story is the gospel. It's the good news that there is a substitute for those of us that are condemned. See, Judah, he wasn't the one who deserved to get, he deserved because he was a sinner and he had done these awful things. But the cup wasn't in his sack. He was the innocent party. And he was substituting himself for the guilty party, for his younger brother, Benjamin. Later in the book of Genesis, when, when Jacob, when Judah's father blesses his 12 sons, it's pretty amazing because Jacob blesses. He does not curse uh, Judah. He blesses Judah. And he says, from Judah, the scepter will not depart. In other words, their great descendants are going to be, there's going to be a royal line. It's going to come from Judah. And we who know the rest of the story know that the great, 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 great descendant of Judah is Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. See, Jesus had a great forefather who was willing to give up his life for another. It's no wonder that Judah is chosen to be blessed by Jacob, and Reuben is cursed. Judah demonstrates true repentance. Judah, in one real way, is actually preaching the gospel. He's sharing the good news through his action. See, mending a broken relationship, it begins with repentance. It begins with repentance and it says when Joseph hears this news, this, this statement by his brother, really when Joseph hears the gospel, it says he could no longer control himself. He, he throws all the slaves out, all of his servants, and he breaks down weeping so loudly that they could hear through the wall. And he says, it's me, it's Joseph, because he sees repentance in the heart of his brother. See, the gospel bridges repentance to our next step in how to fix a broken relationship. There's repentance, and the second one is reconciliation. See, relational healing occurs through reconciliation. Reconciliation can only make that, that jump from repentance through the gospel, through the good news. So the gospel is that we're all sinners, we're all broken, but Jesus heals us, Jesus forgives us. And if we're all broken, if we're all sinful, if we're all guilty, just like Joseph's brothers, but if we have put our faith in Christ and we have experienced that complete and total forgiveness, then we're all innocent. Then when a brother or a sister in Christ sins against me and hurts me, I can forgive them because well, I've been forgiven by Jesus. And when another person hurts, and when I hurt another person, well, Lord willing, they'll be able to forgive me. And you can forgive someone who's not a Christian because you want them to taste the miraculous grace, the, the good news that you have experienced. See, relational healing occurs through reconciliation. Reconciliation happens because of the gospel. 
There was a woman who lived during World War II. Her name is Corrie Tenboom. I'm going to put up a picture of her. She seems like a very nice lady. Her father, maybe some of you have heard this story, her father, her older sister, uh, and her, they hid uh, Jewish refugees in their home uh, when the Nazis were seeking to exterminate the Jewish people. She was in her 50s when the Nazis came. They discovered her. They discovered the hiding place. You can read the book called The Hiding Place. We, my parents read it to me when I was a kid. They were arrested and they were sent to concentration camps. Her father died 10 days later and her and her sister Betsy, they were sent to an awful concentration camp. At this camp, uh, they were starved. They were forced to do hard work. People were beaten all around them. Many people they saw were gassed, were killed. And they were Christians. They were believers. One of the reasons they were doing these good deeds during the World War II is because they believed in Jesus. And Corey was angry. She was mad that this great injustice was happening. But her, her sister, Betsy, who was actually dying, said, no, let's forgive. She was getting weaker and weaker, but she was saying, no, Jesus forgave us. How can we not forgive our prison guards? How can we not forgive the Nazis? Her sister died in that concentration camp. And Corey was released several days later from prison, and she wanted to wallow in anger and, and hate for the rest of her life, but she remembered her sister. She remembered Jesus, and she was able to forgive. She actually began uh, started a ministry of forgiveness. People came and stayed in her house who had been wounded by the war. And actually people from Germany and those other countries that had hurt uh, other people, they came and stayed at her house. And eventually she actually went back to Germany and was sharing her testimony in a church and talking about forgiveness. And that's when she saw in the back of the sanctuary, she saw one of the prison guards who she had been forced to walk naked in front of, her and her sister, starving to death, full of shame. And she knew what was coming, that she was going to be asked to, to demonstrate forgiveness, to be reconciled. After the service, he came up to her and said, I think he said, Fraulein, I've become a Christian. I know what I did was wrong, and God has forgiven me, but it would be wonderful. I, I, I need your forgiveness as well. And dread filled her heart. In her own power, she could never forgive in that moment. But she prayed, God, help me. Help me raise my hand. Help me shake his hand. That's all I can do. But would you do the rest? Would you supply the forgiveness? Would you supply the healing? And as she lifted her hand, she said, forgiveness flooded her heart. And she was able to grasp his hand, and she cried out, I forgive you, brother. And they held hands for a long time. She experienced reconciliation to her captor, to her tormentor, through the gospel, through God giving her the ability to forgive, through the message of Jesus Christ. That guard repented, but he needed to seek reconciliation, and she needed to receive the reconciliation. Reconciliation is only made possible through the gospel, true reconciliation. Reconciliation is the, restore, uh, the, the restoration of a broken relationship. 
So imagine a, a, a cord or a rope that's been frayed and torn apart. It's the putting back together of that cord, of that rope. So it's brand new. Now, the word reconciliation is not used in our story, but it is definitely a story of reconciliation. And there's another interesting word uh, called uh, blood. Well, it's not called anything. It's blood, the word blood. Maybe you notice that the story uses the word blood multiple times. They tried to shed his blood, and Reuben says, you must give an accounting for his blood. See, Joseph's brothers, they took his life. They took his blood. And they didn't spill his blood. They didn't kill him, but they took his life. And the fair payment for taking his life would have been to take each and every one of their lives to spill their bloods. But notice what Joseph says. Joseph says, well, this was God's plan. When, they, when he finally kind of comes out to them and says, it's me, it's Joseph. He says, this was all God's plan. He was going to use this plan to save us, to save you. See, Joseph is able to forgive them because of God's plan, because he trusts a God who can make right what was broken. He trusts in a God that can produce reconciliation. You know how our God produces reconciliation? Through spilt blood. Our God sent his son in the flesh, a son that had a beating heart. And that son, Jesus, spilt his blood for us on the cross. See, Joseph is able to fully forgive and to be reconciled because there's someone coming who's going to spill his blood so that Joseph does not have to spill his brother's blood. That is reconciliation. That fair payment will be made and that God will make right what is wrong. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Notice how wounded Joseph is through this whole story. Every other verse, he's, he's saying, it's saying, Joseph wept and he was wailing and he was crying. This hurt. But we believe in a God who has also been hurt. Jesus Christ has experienced pain on our behalf. Jesus Christ's blood has been spilt so that our blood doesn't have to, so that his blood can restore, uh, can reconcile our broken relationships. If you've been wounded so deeply you're not willing to forgive or you don't want to experience reconciliation, remember, Jesus bleeds with us. Jesus bleeds for us. So that one day there will be no more bleeding. Every tear will be wiped away from every eye. All through the grace of Jesus Christ. And if you have been the one to wound others, if there are victims in your life, Reconciliation is possible through Jesus Christ. He can produce healing in a way that you can never provide. And so you can step forward seeking, uh, seeking healing because you trust in the greater sacrifice of Jesus that nothing you can do can ever make up for it. Relational healing occurs through reconciliation, and reconciliation ultimately leads to restoration. See, broken relationships are made new at the point of restoration. Restoration does not mean that everything will be just as it was. doesn't mean that everything will be the same. If you were listening to the rest of the story of Joseph, things don't go back to how they were. Joseph never goes home. Joseph never goes back to his homeland. In fact, his father is uprooted from his homeland of Canaan and taken to Egypt. Things 
never are quite the way they were. But God brings Jacob, he brings uh, Jacob's family down to Egypt and says, one day I'll take you back up to Canaan because I am a God who makes things better than they were. I am a God who can give you a greater land than you ever had right now. I'm going to give you the whole region of Canaan, not just your little land in Hebron. That's the kind of God we believe in who can, who can make a relationship, a broken relationship, better than it ever was. So if we repent, if you and I, if we seek reconciliations, our relationships will not go back to how they were. They should become something even better. Because if repentance has truly taken place in our heart, that means our hearts have been changed. To go back to how it was would be to, to, to take three steps back. We want to experience new transformation from the inside out. See, the change is not for the worse. The change is for the better because through it, we're becoming more like Jesus. We're receiving forgiveness, and we're becoming more like him. Gospel restoration is better than before. When Jacob hears Joseph is alive, uh, verse 27 of chapter 45, it says, The spirit of their father Jacob revived. See, Jacob comes back to life. That's what revival means, coming back to life. See, gospel restoration is resurrection. I have a lot of R's tonight. Gospel restoration is resurrection. It's a rising from the dead. See, our God has brought Joseph back to life for Jacob. He has brought him back from the grave. And because of this, God brings Jacob's heart. He can experience life again. He can experience relationships again. He can receive and give love again. He is no longer in that dark cellar because that dark cellar has been filled with light, the light of forgiveness, ultimately the light of the gospel. That's what Jesus does for us. He can bring new life into dead relationships. And we all have relationships that have died. Do you believe that God can bring life into that relationship? We believe in a resurrection God. Maybe you've experienced immense wounding in your family, coworkers, neighbors, relationships. God can bring life into that relationship because he's a resurrection God. He brings Joseph back from the dead. Who can he bring back to dead from the dead for you? He can do that. We believe in this God, but you have to know him to experience true reconciliation. You can be a kind of a giver of reconciliation with the hopes that they, they will know Jesus through it. But to, to experience true peace, true healing, you need to know Christ. If you don't know Christ, I encourage you to begin that relationship today. God has sent his son to have a right relationship with you, to heal the broken relationship. That's what the Garden of Eden did. That's what Adam and Eve did. They broke our relationship with God. And he sent Jesus to make it new again. All of us begin with a broken relationship with God, but we can all be healed through Jesus Christ. And this is the gospel. This is good news. Broken relationships are made new through repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. That's my big idea. So I promised the end of the story with Joe's, my childhood friend. His real name, his full name is actually Joseph. I just didn't want to say Joseph because that would have just muddied the waters. It's kind of cool. Uh, a couple of years after the break in relationship, when I was 14, so about when I was 17, uh, I told my youth pastor, like, I don't know. I think he asked me about it one day. So what's up with you guys? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. We're just not friends anymore. And I blamed Joseph. I was mad at Joseph because he had hurt me. 
And to his credit, my youth pastor went to Joseph and said, hey, you should talk to Jonathan. You guys still go to the same church. You guys should talk and work it out. Tell him why you guys aren't friends anymore. And so to his credit, Joseph, one Sunday morning, took me aside and said, you know, this is why we're not friends anymore. This is why I stopped being friends with you is because one day you showed me a dirty magazine. And I didn't want to be a part of that. I didn't want to be around that. I was like, oh. See, the break in relationship was actually my fault. <laughs> it was my responsibility. This bad thing that I had done to him was my fault. I was the cause of the broken relationship, but I would never have found that out if he hadn't had the courage to talk with me. And so I repented. I said, I'm sorry. Like, I, I, it was an evil thing. I'm sorry. And uh, I challenged him because at this time of my life, I was in a much better place. I had, I had experienced repentance in that area of my life. And I challenged him. I said, it would have been great if you had just challenged me on that. And if you had said, hey, don't do that instead of running away from me. And he said, you know what? I'm sorry, too. I shouldn't have done that. And so we were both able to repent, to apologize. And through that, we were able to experience reconciliation. And you know what? We didn't go back to being the best buds we were when we were kids. The relationship did change, but we did experience a gospel restoration, a new restoration, uh, because when I went, so I went to my first year of seminary, I went home to Estes Park uh, my first summer afterwards, and I did an internship, and we actually ran together a Saturday evening service, <laughs> and we experienced true fellowship as brothers in Christ, and we were able to kind of plan this ministry and play, uh, pray together and, and go on hikes and do really cool things. See, God can bring new life to dead relationships. I actually brought a picture so you can see my friend and me. <laughs> it's me without a beard. I'm on the right. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you yearn to put your arm around? God can bring life to that relationship. Broken relationships are made new through repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for healing the broken relationship we created with you. We broke our relationship with you, and you forgave us through spilling your son's blood. Thank you. You are amazing. You are good. You're a God that we deserve to give everything to, our lives, our worship, our time, our money. I pray that you would receive our offering as a token of our thankfulness our thankfulness for what you have done on our behalf. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray, amen.